0: Hello, it's Mike Richards here from the Treasury Recruitment Company. I hope you're enjoying the Treasury Career Corner. If you are, great news. Perhaps you give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast content. This means that even more treasury professionals can benefit from finding out or by finding out about how treasurers have achieved their career goals. The link to rate our show will list at the bottom of our show notes. And please remember as well, the show itself is as much about you as it is about us. If there are specific questions you want us to ask or this feedback you want to give, please drop me an email. My direct email is mike at recruitment.com, inventably enough. But anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to this, the latest Treasury Career Corner podcast. This month, as you know, is all about women in Treasury. And as such, I'm delighted to be joined by Dana Laidhold, the treasurer at Peloton Interactive based in New York. Till recently, Dana was the treasurer at Carlisle, the private equity firm, before making a recent career move to join Peloton. Founded in 2012, Peloton is a global technology company that is reinventing fitness, if you like, by bringing studio-style workouts with their Peloton bike, Peloton Tread and Peloton Digital to the convenience and comfort of your home. As always, I'll be talking to Dana about how her career has developed, how she's built her career, where she is now and where she sees herself and the treasury profession going next. As an experienced treasury finance professional, Dana's worked for both private and public companies, so we'll explore that a little bit about the differences. And also, she's been awarded things such as the Treasury Today's Highly Commended Winner of the Women of the Year Award uh, recognition there. And also, Dana, I know, is very much involved in the AFP, through the Association of Finance Professionals, the U.S. Treasury Association, if you like, and I'm recently on their podcast, so really doing a lot of stuff, was there at the Chicago show recently. And in addition to this, if she's not busy enough, she's also on the Board of Directors for Doorways for Women and Families, so who are a, an organization that help out with pathways out of domestic violence, homelessness, and lots of other things. So where she gets the time, I don't know. Um, but let's go back to the beginning of Dana's career, if we could, and then bring us up to date. And we'll jump around with some treasury issues and things like that. Um, Dana, you you started your career many years ago. You qualified. I think you graduated from Penn State. Is that right? Or back in the beginning? Right.
1: I did. I went to Penn State for my undergrad and then got my Master's in Business Administration from the University of Pittsburgh.
0: Right, cool. So then, and then you did you go? Did you think right? That's it. Treasury's there for me. I, I want to go into it. Or how did it come about? Or what?
1: Do you uh, No, it was sort of an, an accidental fall into treasury. I actually, when I when I left business school, I worked for U.S. Airways, um, mm-hmm. which has now you know sort of folded into you know as American Airlines. Um, I was in the finance department with them and actually part of a management rotation program, which was a phenomenal experience, particularly being younger in my rear coming out of business school and wanting to, you know, broaden my skill sets. I did six month stints and I was with the purchasing group, the financial planning group. Um, I was with the uh, pension and investments group, which was a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And then also involved with the accounting team before settling into a role as a controller for them. Okay. Um, and then uh, sort of happenstance ended up falling upon the position at the Carlisle Group. It actually found found me. I wasn't really looking for it, um, but it found me and, and made the move over to Carlisle and was involved r- really not with Treasury at all, but with our um, internal co-investment programs, which are our programs that allow our employees to invest in our funds. Um, very involved on the bookkeeping side. You're doing tax work, financial statements, and also, which was more important to me was involved with a lot of the programs around that. We were implementing an investment accounting system at the time and I was involved with that. Then launching our first portal for investor reporting, um, looking at the loan programs we were putting in and how we were structurally interacting with the employees. Um, through my work in that area, Carlisle at that time was actually, you know, relatively speaking, of a, a pretty small company. Um, it was global. It did have numerous funds, but it wasn't to the scale that it certainly is today. And, um, and how, and,
0: and sorry, just to yeah. take you on that. So how was that when you made a move? And that was an interesting thing for me. You, you know, USAways, you know, huge, massive, you know, to Carlisle, And you told me this before we, we had a chat the other day and you said uh, quite a small group. Was that quite a, a shift for you?
1: was a shift in terms of going from a mature organization where the structure was very well established to moving to an organization where there was development work. Um, there was a lot of departments and functions that were in more of a build mode at that time, which was a shift for me from really running a department and running the budgeting process and looking at, I mean, certainly there were implementations. When I was at U.S. Airways, we were looking at speech recognition. for the you know, It was very new to the market at that time. Um, use of credit cards and port Wi-Fi enabled equipment to allow credit cards onto the airplanes was, you know, new and, and fancy at the time. And so, um, but the structure in and of itself was mature. We're coming into Carlisle, we were really looking at putting in, you know, back office systems. We were putting in our, you know, in our investment accounting system. We went through the journey of putting in our ERP. Um, so that was a nice shift for me um, to be able to kind of step backwards in the business and build things up a little more from the beginning.
0: And you got to know that. And then you said you started in co-investments, as it were, so looking after the the money for the actual employees. How did then Treasury come, come about?
1: So, at the time, we really only had – there was no finance function. We had the office of the controller, and it was right. a very GL-focused, accounting-focused group. But as the a company itself just had grown in size and in scale and in complexity, it had reached an inflection point where they needed to break pieces off and put more concentrated effort around them, treasury being one of them. So our CFO at the time had kind of said, you know, I think we need a treasurer, you know, had noticed some things about the organization and came to me and said, okay, Danny, you're now going to be our treasurer. And, you know, my, my first response was, okay, it sounds great. Um. What what do I do? What does the treasurer <laughs> do? <laughs> and you know, so began the journey where you know we worked together um, and really looking across each of the functions and, and building them from scratch, starting with cash management, looking across all of our bank accounts, looking across our bank relationships, the services we were employing, the infrastructure we had in place, um, putting in automated payment technologies, um, and rationalizing that infrastructure. Then kind of sidestepping into foreign exchange and looking 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 at how we were trading, um, how we were tracking our trades, the technology we were using to build efficiency around our trades, the rates we were taking on the trades, how we were thinking strategically about foreign exchange in the organization and what our risks were. We put that in place. We put a term loan in place, a revolver in place. We then went out and sought a public rating. Um, Then the company went public and then we um, issued debt in the public markets. We issued 10 year bonds and 30 year bonds. and that was a a you know, capital structure and capital markets was a piece of the business and really sort of walking around um, the patch, building each of the functions. And it was, it was a wonderful and exciting journey.
0: And when you first, you say you, you know, they said, here's treasury, off you go. What, you know, what roadmap did you put together or what were your fir- first bullet points? Did you say, right, where's the cash or, you know, for, some of the guys listening in the early stages of their careers or they're walking in the door and someone saying, right, you're in charge of treasury yourself. How did you, Come about it? So what do you think? Right, this is the
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I do think there was a matter of looking at where there was greatest need, where was greatest risk, where was greatest need, and for us, we you know we had numerous bank accounts at the time, we had numerous bank partners, we were you know all you know across the globe, so that was for us the the, the first piece of greatest need was getting um, you know visibility into the, all the cash automating that so it was efficient um and it wasn't a manual process to collect and see the balances putting in the right technology to enable that and then also for us one of our greatest needs is we had such a high volume of payments we had outgrown scale of using um, bank proprietary portals we have to key in all your payments so we needed oh, wow. to transition to something more automated um, and then also looking you know this was all you know back You know, pre-crisis, there were very high returns to be made on holding cash balances. So being able to collect our arms around that in an efficient manner and then be able to invest the cash really generated a return for the business at the time, which was very important. Foreign exchange was another piece of that puzzle. And the volume of trades, looking at our exposures we had so that we were taking the right risk management approach, but then also looking at the trading, just spot trades that we were doing um, and building infrastructure around that piece um, were some of our greatest things. And then we started walking into how we thought about debt and capital structure.
0: And then you said, as you said, the financial crisis happened. How did that you know how were you guys set for that you know was it all most of the stuff was in place by then or because you started as treasurer we did we had
1: a lot of our a lot of our infrastructure was in place by then i think for us really the greatest um sort of source of time and energy during that period from treasury's perspective was around where do we have cash balances which financial institutions are they in um what paper are we holding and which you know organizations are we holding paper in? and we were very very fortunate we didn't take a loss on anything um, that we had we weren't you know holding Lehman paper or um, you know and but cutting across that infrastructure very very quickly we did have cash in banks that we were concerned with their financial stability and had to very quickly move a lot of that money and consolidate cash um, across the platform to try to de-risk and so you know that was a very very busy period of time Um, but you Fortunately, I think we were very close and tight with our relationships. I think we had a pretty strong risk management framework, and I think we had our eyes open and we were seeing things as they were evolving, which allowed us to move quickly.
0: And when when the group you know moved from private to public ownership, when was that? When when did that happen?
1: Um, we went public in May of two thousand and twelve. Okay. Um, And so, that was sort of, I would say, another piece of evolution um, to take. And and for me personally, I really like the public company um, experience. I like the rigor and the discipline that it instills in an organization. Um, I think, you know, as a company, we were always, of course, very focused on doing everything right, having the right infrastructure, thinking about risk, um, trying to put the right controls in place. But when you are going to be a public company, you're now going to be subject to SOX. It puts a hammer in place that cuts through, well, this is how we've always done things, or sort of cultural resistance to maybe bureaucracy um, that certainly does come with internal controls. Um, and so, I actually felt that that was a, a really comfortable place because um, we could use that rationalization to put in place things in a, in a much stricter way. Um, and uh, you know, I found the internal control structure after that journey was just so tight, and it was always a, a top of mind item for everybody across the company, not just certain departments or certain issues at you know, at specific times.
0: Well and what you know, it was different, obviously, the private to public. Was there any effect from external pressures that you suddenly were accountable to shareholders externally rather than, you know, before you were just responsible to yourselves and to the, the management of things?
1: Well, um I don't know if you would necessarily call that different. I think we always held ourselves to a very high standard. Yes. Yeah. Um uh, but I do think once you have to, I, I would say it's not the standard that the outside investors are holding you to as much as the articulation of that and having to you know, put pen to paper on how you're going to craft and share your story is, is probably more of where outsiders become important.
0: What, what do you mean by that? Sort of just what, explaining what you guys are doing within Treasury or within, exactly, as a firm? Exactly.
1: I think there's a lot that you take for granted in your day-to-day operations. Right. And you don't always appreciate the things you're doing right or maybe the things that could be tweaked along the way. And then when I think you have to explain that to an outside audience, um, even if it's, you know, whether it's investors or just your own, you know, internal audit department, when you have to explain how your processes work, explain how your controls are, um, it makes you think about them in a different way way. And it does help to make some tweaks and adjustment along the way. And it also helps you to appreciate all the things that you are doing a really great job on.
0: And you, you and I have talked about a part of that journey is being the treasurer. You then became quite heavily involved in the AF, the AFP, you know, just for, again, some of the European listeners, they, they know the organization a little bit maybe, but you know, it's obviously in the U S it's very well known as the association for treasurers and for, you know, finance, uh, professionals across there, but can you just explain a bit more about your involvement with, you know, cause you're on the board and you've led that as well.
1: Sure. And I have unfortunately I'm not on the board any longer. I was no. on the board. Um, but it, it, for me, because I was coming into being a treasurer um, really without experience, I didn't grow up in a treasury department, so I didn't have the benefit of, you know, really seeing how a treasury department functions and all the, you know, and all of the nuts and bolts about that. Mm. Um, so I kind of came into this cold, which in some ways was great because I didn't bring any baggage with me. Um along the way but at the same time I, I didn't exactly know what I was doing all the time in the beginning. <laughs> and <laughs> Shh, so anybody, know, b- building a network of peers was you know invaluable to me as a resource and um, I had a woman who was a consultant that we worked with and as, as we were standing up a lot of our infrastructure. I was very fortunate was involved in the AFP and told me about it right at the very beginning of my taking over this position. So I started by going to some of the local roundtables and doing some of the virtual roundtables and listening to some of the, you know, training programs that were out there on specific topics. And, you know, through that, I was able to ask a lot of questions, I was able to listen a lot, and I was able to develop a network of peers that I could call and ask things to on a more one-on-one basis. And so that benchmarking was really valuable to me and helped me hear things that, you know, I could take an issue, you know, foreign exchange, and talk to 20 or 30 people about what they're doing in their companies. And I could pick all the pieces that I thought would be the best practices and best fit for our organization and then implement those. Um, And so, you know, it really was, you know, almost like an MBA of, you know, treasury. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it sounds like a real real world version of LinkedIn. You know, when I spoke at the... You know, Chicago, you know, the AFP, and you know, I was saying to people, it's a great way using LinkedIn if you've got a new treasury management system. Or as you say, if you've got an FX issue, you think you go out to your network and say, guys, who who can help me on this? Who's got some advice? But you actually got involved with that with the AFP. So it's actually a real world way of doing it. I hope you're enjoying this week's show. I just want to interrupt briefly to invite you to be part of what we know to be the best global treasury salary survey in the world. They're bold words, I know but it's true. We're just approaching the 500 participant mark, so it's a survey of real value, but we still need your help. All you need to do to take part is visit treasuriesalary.com. Takes about two minutes of your time from start to finish. And as a reward for taking part, you receive a free copy of our 200 page global treasury salary survey. It's a real practical use to you. Whether you're a treasury analyst in Chicago, or a Global Treasurer in London, we give you the numbers you need. In the simplest terms, our survey helps you as a treasury professional understand what you should be paid. We benchmark your treasury compensation in relation to your peers, both locally and globally. So when you are next asking your boss for that long overdue pay rise, and you know you deserve one, well, you have the practical facts you need. Just visit treasurysalary.com, and I look forward to sending you the next copy of the survey. That's enough from me. Let's get back to the show.
1: It was and and different from LinkedIn. You know, I would go to roundtables and actually meet people, and I could develop a a more personal relationship with them, mm. and I could call them and. Talk to them about specific issues offline, and that personal connection was really important for me. And, and like I said, it was really invaluable. It was the key to my success, and I, I would not have been able to do everything that I did in Treasury without yeah. being able to have those people there. And so, for me, as then I got more involved in the AFP, and then I found that over you know a couple of years, I switched from being you know, going to these roundtables and being the listener and coming with a list of questions that I wanted to ask the group community to, I was a talker. Mm. And I was giving back and I was sharing my experiences, which was wonderful. And then that grew to, I started speaking on some of the panels and then got to know the leadership over there more. And then ultimately, um, I was called by someone that there were some open board seats and what I submit an application. And for me, that was just the ultimate way to be able to give back to an organization that I had taken so much from was being able to sit on the board and it was something that I really enjoyed.
0: That's amazing. And you would, well, you unfortunately weren't on the panel that we hosted recently because you recently made a career move and everything else. We'll come on to that in a moment. But one of the things that we were talking about, uh, one of the uh, stepping stones for career success, we talked about mentor, mentoring and coaching and, and you've had benefit of both. And, you know, one of the things, you know, uh, I spoke to Karen van der Driesche on uh, last week's show, and she was very much talking about the benefits it gave her. But we we discussed this, and you said it was tremendous for you because you've had both. Is that right?
1: I have. I have been very lucky in my career to have very special people that I've been able to build a personal connection with. Um, and some of that comes in the form of people that have worked on my team that I learned from. Some of that has come in the form of my peer group um, and you know, people that I can, you know, share ideas with, with you know, at my own level. Um, and a lot of that has come from people that I've reported to who have really taken an interest in me and my personal career development and given me opportunities to grow and succeed. Um, I also was fortunate that I did go through a coaching program. I had a formal coach for a about a year, um, and that to me was a tremendous conversion because I, I do find – I think people have numerous points along their career when they can use a coach, you know, hands down. For me, that point was really when I was shifting from, you know, being the what I would call sort of the doer to being the leader of what there is to do and, and that shift to really being a department head, not just a member of the department. Um, and as you go through that shift, you, know, it, it was very easy for me to have a mission, sit down, run the numbers, come up with a model, you know, push a process through, develop policies or procedures. I, I could steamroll through things that way. Yeah. Um, but then you reach a point where you're more senior, and now you have to say not just what am I going to do, but what should we be working on? How should the department look? How What should the next thing we do? Where is that risk, and what should the answer be <laughs> to how we will solve that? And you start to focus on managing people. So you're not just managing your work, but you're managing People and their career path, and what motivates them, and what feedback do they need, what training do they need, what coaching do they need from you, um, and you're also interacting with your peer set differently. And that now you're all trying to steer the ship, and that's a more difficult landscape to work within when you have you know a lot of different cooks in the kitchen all trying to mm. <laughs> steer things. And how do you work with your your set of you know senior peers? And that was a Sorry, go on. No, sorry. I would say for me, that was a really you know, valuable point in my career where I had a coach to help me make that transition.
0: Yeah, that move. That, and again, when I was talking to Karen and talking to a couple of other people as well, and I was speaking at the Vienna the, uh, Treasurer's Conference just last week, and we got talking about this and we talked about it in the speech. And one of the things that we talked about was. The shift from the I and doing, you know, being still being a leader, but you know, I will do this, I do that, and actually then interacting and bringing people on board with that journey and being the we, you know, understanding and coaching others and bringing them along with you, sort of hand holding rather than just be the leader out there with the flag, but actually being the leader at the back, you know, sort of coaching people.
1: I agree, and one of the things that I've really learned now through doing numerous large-scale projects and implementations is the importance of culture, and bringing culture along with you. It's something I definitely didn't appreciate much earlier on in my career, and now as I think about infrastructure and change or technology or systems, I realize it's not just about you know what it's enabling and what it's going to do for you, but you know how are you going to bring the rest of the group along, and that's that's actually more important as a key to success success.
0: And when you're looking at that, that team ethos, and you're bringing those people on board, you know, so say when you're, you know, we're on a recruitment podcast at the end of the day, when you're recruiting, what are you looking for in terms of that personality attitude? Or is it, you know, paper first and qualifications, you must have CTP and things? Or what where's your mind at?
1: Well, I do think there's a little of everything. Um, I don't and I do think it's very role dependent as well. Okay. I really love to bring senior analysts into my group. I love to bring people in where I can just look for someone who just has raw smarts. Raw talent, um, very energetic, very enthusiastic, and an eagerness to learn, and then to work with those people to give them more of the treasury-specific information and bring them through the organization. That to me is the most exciting area to hire into. But I do think also as you you move up and you need to bring people in at a more senior level. You know, you not every person on the team comes in as a you know staff or senior person and you know moves. Up the ranks, sometimes you have to airdrop someone in at a higher level. Mm-hmm. And as you get to those higher levels, that's when I do think specific treasury experience, specific skill sets, you know, involvement through the AFP, um, you know, knowledge of treasury systems it becomes a more important piece of the overall resume. Because
0: they also have to hit the ground running, and you've got pressures on you as a treasurer and as and as an organisation as well. Right. So um, you've got that. You've got you know your involvement with the AFP. Uh, we talked about mentoring there. You you know a, a Woman of the Year award as well. What 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 you know? How was that recognised?
1: <laughs> they must not have had a lot of candidates that year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure
0: they did. I'm sure they did.
1: <laughs> um I mean I was I was so honored um I, it was through you know the treasury work obviously we align very very closely to our banks I don't think of our banks as service providers as much as partners right. and keys to our success as an organization and I was very fortunate to have a number of very close banking partners that I was working with um and one did nominate me for the award and then I was so humbled to actually have been selected. <laughs> um, and it's still, I keep my award at my desk and it's something that's very important and near and dear to my heart.
0: So, Dana, also, um, one of the things that we talked about recently was about having, and Craig, my colleague, he really talks about having a legacy and, and giving back and not just being focused, as you talked about, the eye and the we and the team, but, and just focused just on Treasury. But it can lead to other things as well. And you've, I think you've done other things and contributed in other areas. Is that all right?
1: Yeah, so I was on the board of Doorways for Women and Families, um, okay. which is an Arlington-based um, organization that creates pathways out of domestic violence and homelessness for women and their families. Um, you know, for me, that was an important inflection in my career, was to be able to reach a point where um, – I had reached a level where I could balance work and life um, a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have two children, and you know, getting them to a point where um, I could make some space for other things that were important to me, and um, really focusing on my community was important. And I got to know doorways through a friend and the amazing work that they were doing around Virginia, and I just felt compelled to have to jump in and and help there. Um, and so I do think it's really important for people to try to find their passion, that I look for life as sort of a three-way stole between your profession, your family, and then also your community and how you're participating in the community.
0: And then more recently, you've made quite a big career shift, as, as people might be able to see, to, to Peloton. But more than that, as you say, location-wise, it's quite a shift for you and you're balancing that and we talked about this in a pre-brief call that you know you've you've thrown everything up you know and then (laughs) seeing where the pieces fall I mean you know fantastic for everyone but interesting as well so perhaps explain to the listeners where that is because I think it was you know I came off the initial call it was like wow, this lady doesn't just uh, feet up, that's it, relax. Um, you, you go for it. So explain a bit more if you would.
1: I do Well, I mean, I do think life is about finding your happiness. And I yeah. think that means very different things at very at different points for everybody. And, you know, I had a lot of tremendous energy and enthusiasm in all the years that I was in Carlisle. And building that department was just an incredible experience for me and something that just I had a continuous sense of pride about. But then I had been there for 16 years, and and that was a really long time to be in one place. And I had reached a point of stability and complacency. And um, for me, that's not where I find my happiness. That I like that. Um, I like the chaos. <laughs> someone had said to me. Someone had said to me, "It's really important to be able to play in traffic." Um, and and that those words sort of echo through my head. Um, constantly as I think about what I'm doing now. And so I did, I sort of took the puzzle of my life and I threw threw it up in the air and all the pieces have kind of rained down in different spots um, because I'm now commuting and coming up to New York. So I've had to find a different arrangement in terms of work-life balance and the time I'm spending with my family. Um, I am back to scratch again at a younger organization where we're building out the treasury functions, um, which is just tremendously exciting for me. I am meeting all new people (laughs) um, who are just amazing and bright and I have so much that I can learn from them. I think that sort of shaking it up um, and changing your circles of who you're interconnecting with is tremendously educational. Different people always bring a different perspective um, and that's just been one of the most exciting parts of this change for me is getting a whole new sphere that I'm surrounding myself with of thought leadership and ideas
0: and and you as you say this this came at you sort of out of the blue something you knew someone or were connected and but then peloton as a group and a, as a as a brand and a company it's relatively new you know some people might see it and they might see the adverts but to tell the listeners sure. it's a stationary bike so what you know I, I could do this in my living room you know what, what's the what's the big dream with the company
1: Well, Peloton is a brand. It sits at the nexus of fitness technology and media. Through our bike, Tread, and Peloton Digital, we're really changing the way people get fit through a comprehensive and socially connected experience. Our platform makes every workout efficient, addictive, and it's accessible anytime and anywhere. Um, For our content, we have 10,000 live and on-demand classes. The classes are taught by a roster of elite instructors who deliver real-time motivation, curated playlists from all the world's best artists. Um, we're actually headquartered here in New York City, but recently we've expanded internationally and we have showrooms in the UK and in Canada.
0: But when you walked in, again, as you said, blank sheet of paper for treasury, or was there some treasury there? Or
1: um, there was, It was similar to Carlisle where there were treasury functions, but they weren't centralized under a single treasurer. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm coming in and carving out those pieces and then growing them.
0: And where do you see the future of a treasury with, with a group? as it growth Because obviously it's rapid growth, international, it's a, a fitness business or an internet business, or it's both?
1: Um, it's both. It's really connected fitness is what it, it is. And there, it really is a technology company focused on the fitness space. Um, and the growth potential is really, you know, we've been growing at over 100% year over year um, and you know, really even touched just a small portion of the total available market that's out there for this equipment. We're now launching, we've launched in the UK, we've launched in Canada, there'll be other countries that come online over time. Um, so, as we look at Treasury, um, how do we think about banking? How do we think about now we have you know, foreign exchange components to the business um, as the capital structure develops and you know how are we thinking about the balance sheet? How do we look at you know payables, receivables? We're really you know dissecting and charging all the different elements of the balance sheet and then building out the more solid infrastructure around them.
0: And you've you've obviously been through this journey once before with Carlisle and everything else. You know, not not saying made mistakes, but what things this time round, when you're looking at the this iteration if you like what things are you doing differently, or what tools are there available to you now that you're thinking this is so much easier than it was when I started it in, you know, 2010, or you know, right, What are you seeing? You know, it's an you know,
1: a question yeah, about the well, future think, of treasury. Yeah. I think one of the things that's really different about my doing this now versus when I was doing it then is I'm yeah. so much more educated on the space now. Right. Um, you know, back then I really had to learn develop a view and then implement that view and you know i didn't quite have as much confidence frankly because i didn't want to make mistakes along the way so every you know it took a lot longer to research and learn each piece now i do have a lot more experience i have a lot more education about the technology landscape what's available i have have lessons learned that i've made along the way um, i've seen a lot more from my peer group and what other companies have done and so i can. I'm much more nimble in being able to jump in and know exactly how I want each function to look. And then it's just executing.
0: So when, um, you know, I was talking to, as I say, when I was uh, doing one of the speaking sessions the other day, I, I, I suggested to people that, um, they look at goal roles. And what I mean by that is if people wanted to, check out the LinkedIn profiles of people in similar roles that are perhaps, you know, five, 10 years. So if someone else wants to follow that, your career path, they might look at your LinkedIn or they might, you know, and then look at the career choices you made and they could say, actually, I would make that choice and how long you've remained in roles and how you developed as a person. I mean, just, just sort of summarize with you, you know, what would you give us, you know, what, if someone wants a career as successful as yours what advice would you offer or give them they walk and say Dana I want to you know follow in your footsteps what would you say
1: um, well, I do think, I, I honestly think people, you, you need to let your career happen to you. I think there's a management element to your career, but also there's, you know, I was very, very fortunate that I was in an organization at the time that they were breaking out treasury and I was offered that opportunity. I was very fortunate that... Uh, you know, a friend knew the CFO here at Peloton and they were having a conversation and she was saying they need a treasurer. And my friend said, well, you need to call Dana Latehold. Those things you can't create. But what you can do is focus on, you know, being the best possible you in every situation. And I know that probably sounds trite or that you know like a great. cliche, but you know, I was offered the treasury opportunity at Carlisle because I had done a really good job on the things that I was doing prior. Hmm. The CFO had confidence in me and knew that I could navigate a You know, nonlinear organization um, knew that I was hardworking and I could put my head down and do what it took to figure things out. You know, demonstrating those qualities about yourself are what make you eligible, make you top of mind when the opportunity Mm -hmm. set comes up. And you know, I I look at you know working your network, and and I've always rolled my eyes when people say that, frankly. Um, And I don't know exactly what that means, but you know, twenty years later into my career, I can see where the people that I've met and people that I've cultivated relationships with and considered friends, I didn't really think of myself as I'm building my network. I just looked at me as having friends. But how those friends are actually then the ones who are sponsoring you and advocating for you along the way. Um, So to, you know, take your head up and focus on the people who are around you. That's something that I haven't always appreciated
0: i i couldn't summarize it better i think that was a fantastic end to the, today's show what i would say or check with dana obviously dana's on linkedin and we spoke about this before linkedin the best way you would say
1: yes yeah.
0: right so uh, we'll put uh dana's details into the uh, show notes obviously look at peloton really interesting company growing rapidly and everything else dana thanks for your time today um Unless there are any final words, I just think it was a fantastic interview.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate your spending time with me today. This has been a pleasure.
0: Thanks very much.